from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Jim Gould and Mike Rouse is your guest presenter. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Jim. On today's programme, we're talking about the peak winter flu season, which is expected to start uh, this week. Citing high hospital bed occupancy rates uh, and other factors, authorities are calling for more people to be vaccinated, especially the elderly and children. This year's uh, influenza peak is also due to coincide with a rise in COVID-19 infections, although there's been no significant increase in serious coronavirus cases. After 9.45, we'll learn more about biodiversity in Victoria Harbour. If you'd like to leave a comment, you can post a message on our Facebook page. Uh, that is uh, um, backchat at RTHK um, on, on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233 Joining us now for our main topic this morning, we have uh, on the line Dr. Aaron Lee, who's an emergency ward doctor at Caritas Medical Centre. Also, Dr. Alvin Chan, who's a paediatrician and co-chair of the Committee of uh, Relationship with Patients. And also uh, Kelvin Toe, chairperson of the Department of Microbiology at the School of Clinical Medicine at the University of Hong Kong. Uh, good morning to all our guests. Perhaps, uh, uh, Dr. Lee, if we could start with you oh yes uh, thank you thank you for joining us um so what what is your uh, current experience like uh, with uh, ad admissions and um and the number of cases that you're having to deal with uh, flu cases in the hospital and also covid cases uh, yes uh, there's an increase in uh, attendance of uh, feverish patients uh, in the past one week uh, as we have uh, looked at the report from uh, the experts uh, saying that the winter surge uh, of the flu season is coming. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so, I, I mean, how well prepared is the system, do you think, to cope with this? Uh, I, I was uh, told that uh, uh, there will be a quicker triage uh, at the accident emergency department. Mm -hmm. And then uh, there may be uh, some contingency plan uh, with the maybe the bad uh, in the ward, uh, but uh, we uh, uh, the number of pending patients may be increasing uh, in the coming few weeks. So uh, I think uh, hospital hospital authority may be prepared uh, for another surge of the flu season. Yeah. Yeah, Doctor Lee. Good morning. Um, these people are turning up in in casualty, but yes. how many of them really need admission? Oh, uh, in the past uh, one week we saw uh, many children with fever and then uh, because uh, some of the parents are worried uh, as they heard the news uh, recently that uh, two uh, young uh, patients uh, were uh, having a severe uh, complication of the influenza infection so uh, they rushed to the hospital and they may request to be admitted to the pediatric ward in order to do the nuclear acid test to find out uh, what is the reason for their children's uh, fever. I, I got to say, from, I'm not a doctor at all, I'm not a scientist, 
But there seems to be a degree of, of panic at the moment. Yes, yes. Uh, because, uh, you know, after the pandemic, uh, many parents are uh, quite worried. Uh, there may be, uh, after removal of the mandatory uh, mask uh, practice in the past uh, few uh, years, and then there may be an upsurge of the viral infection in the community. Right. Mm. But the... You say they're worried, but how how are the vaccination rates going? I heard that uh, the vaccination rate for influenza has been increased this year, uh, which is a good news. Uh, as people are more willing to receive the jab uh, in order to defend themselves and better prepare for the full search. Yes, I mean, these people are turning up. That would be my first question. They say, oh, my son may have flu, or my daughter may have flu. Yeah. Is he vaccinated? Um, many, many parents have got their children vaccinated for the influenza jab. But uh, in the community, besides the influenza, there are a lot of virus uh, infection, viral infection as well. Uh, some of them are suffering maybe from COVID. And then, right. uh, yeah, another maybe uh, like the RSV uh, or the power influenza virus. Mm. Uh, okay, uh, Dr. Alvin Chan, good morning to you. Yes, good morning. Um, you're a pediatrician. Yeah. Uh, have you seen a particular upsurge in the number of uh, infections among children? Yes, there is. Uh, recently, uh, such a phenomenon. And uh, in fact, uh, both influenza and COVID-19 uh, infections have been uh, more... Uh, uh, prevalent uh, for the recent two weeks, and in fact, uh, other infections too, such as uh, parainfluenza virus and also um, mycoplasma pneumonia. But uh, the um, uh, influenza and COVID-19 are the main block, mm -hmm. and uh, I think um, the infection uh, rate is now increasing. Um, it's beyond the um, so-called epidemic mark, uh, say, um, the recent percentage of influenza uh, um, positive rate in the um, uh, <coughs> uh, test uh, is now 12.6% uh, already. Mm. And, uh, well, this is um, a sign that uh, it's entering the peak of influenza uh, infection in the community and it's expected to last for 12 to 4 weeks uh, in the coming winter season and spring season. So uh, I think uh, it's good that uh, we, we uh, in the uh, population should be well prepared for this epidemic. Uh, Dr. Chen, good morning. Um, yes. is, there uh, any, is there any evidence or any sign that the flu this year is more serious than previous years? In terms, uh, in terms of severity, yeah, right. Yeah, but, but then uh, there are complications of influenza infection that had already appeared in a few children. That's why uh, parents became um, more um, aware. I, I think uh, it's good to uh, get um, well prepared, uh, say, for the vaccination rate. Uh, it is higher than before, but still less than half of the children are vaccinated this year. So uh, this is far from 
the uh, herd immunity uh, level, you know, uh, to have uh, the herd immunity, that is to prepare uh, the immunity status for uh, young children who are not really uh, vaccinated yet, there should be a herd immunity. And of course, for the uh, vulnerable old uh, people as well. So uh, the dangers of the influenza for those um, vulnerable children and elderly are the occurrence of complications. That is, uh, say, for in children, there could be acute necrotizing encephalitis and myocarditis. Although rare, but when it occurred, it could be fatal. Right. or putting, um, a long-term uh, uh, morbidity, so we should be careful. Those rare ones uh, are thankfully rare, but very nasty if they turn up. Yes, yes. And so because as the co-chairman of the uh, relationship with uh, patients' organizations in the Hong Kong Medical Association, I have been in contact with the patients in the Asthma Society and the Pediatric Respiratory Home Care uh, support uh, society, they they were worried that when the upsurge in the cases of influenza and uh, COVID-19, <coughs> they as vulnerable uh, children's parents or um, patients, they they they, <coughs> they they are worried. Uh, I I would advise them that uh, they don't need to be worried. They just get better prepared. Right. They get vaccinated. And uh, to have masks when they are in crowded places, because they are vulnerable, they should protect themselves to put on masks in the uh, crowded places. Because mm-hmm. other people are coughing or sneezing, and they don't have a mask, you protect yourself with a mask. Mm-hmm. And also with uh, uh, sanitizers, with the alcohol, swab, etc. So I think uh, well-preparedness for individuals <laughs> is a must. Right. And then for the society, Altogether, we should have otherness uh, to, to protect others. Uh, so when we have a sickness, we have cough, we should put on masks and don't go to threat to others. When, when children are born, we, we vaccinate them automatically yes. against a whole bunch of things. Yes, um, but those are not for uh, influenza and COVID-19. No, but is there a case for compulsory vaccination of all school children against flu? Uh, no, not compulsory, sir. Uh, it's only voluntary. Yes, it is uh, only voluntary. But, yeah. but should for it be? Should it be voluntary? Uh, I think uh, even for the standard immunization uh, uh, procedures, the uh, immunization scheme for all children uh, is voluntary. It's not mandatory. So, uh, but in Hong Kong, 99% of our children are fully vaccinated in the standard immunization program and that's very very good so mm. our parents in hong kong are super uh, perfect mm. so uh, voluntarily they bring their children to have the vaccinations for the standard immunization program baptist mm. pertussis polio right. uh, you know measles and uh, mmr and all that yeah, yeah 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 exactly but for for uh but for influenza it's not it's voluntary uh but uh it's about uh 48 percent now not really up to half of the children are uh, vaccinated against influenza so we have to keep our guard uh really and uh in in the state uh say for example 
the medical personnel, uh, I think 98% of the medical personnel in the USA uh, vaccinated against influenza. Uh, in Hong Kong, perhaps it's uh, still uh, not as high in the medical personnel. So we have to uh, really step up our uh, forces in education and propaganda. Uh, help only Hong Kong Medical Association, the government uh, <laughs> should step up in the uh, uh, media campaign uh, to uh, encourage uh, Hong Kong citizens to have the influence of vaccination and also uh, children's vaccination against influenza. Uh, uh, now, for, uh, for the vaccination in, uh, 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 for influenza, there is no, no controversial issues like those in the new techniques, uh, like mRNA in the COVID-19. And so people should not be worried about having vaccinations against uh, influenza. So please, uh, go ahead. Hopefully this program can help in uh, spreading the word. Uh, uh, let's bring in um, Kelvin Toh from the University of Hong Kong, uh, chairperson of the Department of Microbiology at the School of Clinical Medicine. Good morning. Good morning. So we're entering the peak uh, winter flu season, plus um, the number of COVID cases uh, is on the increase. Um, how serious is it if somebody contracts um, both flu and COVID-19 at the same time? And how common is it for that to happen? Um, actually, uh, for them to contact them at the same time is about 2%, uh, mm. according to the international data. Mm. And uh, the severity is increased. Um, the, uh, in a recent um, study that looked at many studies, actually the risk of ICU admission is increased by 2.2-fold. Mm -hmm. And the risk of death is increased by about three-fold. So uh, co-infection with influenza and COVID is definitely uh, worse than just COVID alone. Mm -hmm. So, so everybody should be thinking about uh, obviously getting a flu jab. Um, um, how about, I mean, with uh, COVID um, inoculations, um, um, there, there has to be a space of time, doesn't there? And it, and it depends how recently you've, you've actually had an infection. So, so what, what, what's the current uh, situation now with uh, the COVID uh, inoculation campaign? Um, the COVID inoculation is not as good for as good as for the influenza, mainly because people think uh, COVID is now milder than before. Mm. But um, although this is true in general, I think um, those who are severely immunocompromised um, and also um, those at the uh, say uh, OH home should get vaccinated with both uh, COVID and influenza vaccine because these people are especially vulnerable to COVID and. Um, uh, they uh, uh, and, and uh, if they receive both jabs, the risk of co-infection would definitely be less than if they just receive influenza uh, vaccination alone. Mm. Uh, Mr. Tao, good good morning. I'm good morning. I'm intrigued by this these low vaccination rates. Um, less than fifty percent of children are, are vaccinated against flu. That and yet the parents hearing about the flu but they're not doing anything they're not doing enough about it collectively yes you're right um i think there are many reasons why the influenza vaccination rate is so low um i think one of the main thing is i mean people 
understand the risk probably, and uh, people know that vaccine is available. But many, uh, in my own experience, many are afraid of side effects. Many think um, influenza vaccine is does not protect their children. Um, but all these are actually wrong. Um, I understand it's uh, it's very difficult to change some people's beliefs, but. Um, you can see that influenza vaccine have been, we have been having influenza vaccine for many, many years, and the risk after having influenza vaccine is extremely low. And as you can see, um, this year, there, I mean, every single influenza season, there are children dying, and most of them are having severe complications, and most of them are not, did not have influenza vaccine. So actually, influenza vaccine is very safe, and it's very effective. Um, and uh, I, 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 I'm very, I, just like you, I'm very disappointed at the low figure, and I really hope that the figure can go up. Right. Yeah, we learned from the doctor just now that for children it's about 48%. What is it mm. for the elderly? Um, for the elderly, is, uh, I'm just looking at the data, it's 46.7% for <laughs> uh, people older than 65 years old, and I think that's still poor. Um, many more people should get the jab. And I'm especially worried about the rate for those 50 to 64, which is only 17%. And uh, we have to remember that actually when we talk about uh, influenza risk, the risk actually starts to increase when you're 15 years or older, not 65. So actually those above 50 um, should also get the vaccine as soon as possible because their risk is already higher than the uh, younger people. Is it, is, 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 I get my flu jabs free every year. Yeah. Uh, do right. some people have to pay? Yeah, I mean, as long as you are within the so-called recommended group, you will be able to receive the vaccine for free. And uh, the details can be found in CHP website, but in general it's uh, uh, children, uh, it's people over 50 years old, and those with um, underlying diseases, uh, healthcare workers, all of them will receive the flu jab for free. Uh, you don't have to pay at all mm. if you are uh, having it under the uh, government uh, clinic. Of course, if you, are, uh, if you are having it under private doctors, uh, they may have some fee, but uh, in general, it, I mean, the, the, the flu jab is free of charge mm. in those, um, uh, um, if you are having those under the program. Mm. Uh, okay, uh, uh, Dr. Lee, yeah. so um, we heard um, earlier about uh, the, the value of wearing uh, face masks at a uh, time like this on public transport and so on. Um, is that advice that uh, you would uh, echo? Yes, uh, because uh, I heard that in uh, some countries like the US, there's also already some mandatory uh, restriction for people visiting uh, the hospital to, to wear masks already. Uh, and also uh, maybe traveling in uh, uh, in the tube, they have to mm. wear masks as well. Mm. And also on the airplane. Uh, this is very important message because in the pandemic we saw that uh, when patient wear masks, uh, when people wear masks, uh, not patient, then the infection rate of influenza drops rapidly. So uh, it is a very effective means to uh, prevent yourself from getting infected mm. and also mm. uh, another focus should be in the elderly because in because my father is staying in the uh, old age home uh, they, the, uh, they 
just told me that uh, now there is a outbreak of uh, COVID in the whole uh, elderly home. So uh, my father staying in a room with uh, three other uh, male uh, elderly, and then all the four people has already got infected with COVID. One of them has been admitted to the hospital because uh, of difficulty in breathing with desaturation uh, of oxygen in the blood. So it is a warning sign. Not only flu is spreading out because we are not doing the rapid antigen test uh, as uh, uh, a reflex in the past in the pandemic. So we don't know uh, what is the number of uh, people getting infected also in the COVID. Everybody treat it as a simple uh, illness now. But uh, I mind you, uh, many elderly, if infected with uh, COVID, uh, and also with the searching of the flu, if they get a co-infection of the two viruses, uh, I think it is uh, very deadly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. I, I mean, we're told that the, the, the latest uh, variant of uh, COVID is yeah, the, yeah. The, the JN1 variant, which is uh, um, uh, spreading at the moment. Uh, there's no evidence that it's... Uh, uh, caused an increase in the number of serious cases, uh, is yeah. there? But 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 like but like you say, if, you, if it happens at the same time as you get a flu infection, then it could be pretty bad. Yes, mm. I'm alarmed, uh, Doctor Lee, by people yeah. bringing mandatory mask wearing as an option back into the debate. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we spent yeah, three years yeah, doing this, yeah. and we know what happened. Yeah. Everyone's immunity level dropped, and yeah. people people came out of the three years almost without any immunity to anything. Yeah, because uh, you know, in uh, uh, my classmate uh, who has moved to live in uh, New York many years ago, and then uh, she was uh, an immunized, compro- uh, immunocompromised patient, right, uh, with kidney disease on uh, strong immunosuppressants. Uh, to survive the kidney problem. So she was very worried because everybody removed masks now. And then she keep wearing that because uh, she want to protect herself from yes. getting infected. Mm. So uh, the, the message is uh, we have to strike a balance because uh, uh, in the community, there are many uh, people who are vulnerable to these infections. And then yes. uh, if you want uh, not only to protect yourself, but also protect the people around you, uh, especially when the winter season with the surge of the two viruses. And then uh, we must be careful. Those people with an immunity problem, like you mentioned, your uh, your, um, friend uh, with the immunocompromised, that's totally understandable. I still don't understand why we think we can make masks mandatory sometimes, but we're not making vaccination mandatory when it's these easily the most effective. Yeah, yeah. I think because from the economical uh, perspective, because we saw uh, we've, if we put uh, everything back to uh, what we have done in the pandemic, with even the isolation measure things and things like that, then it will scare people away and then nobody come for trading or the economy will drop. Mm. So uh, the government is very cautious in the, that perspective. So uh, we remove the mask, we remove the vaccination mandatory uh, program, 
but uh, at the same time, we are exposing ourselves to uh, dangers, especially those uh, who are immunocompromised, who are at the extremes of age. So uh, I hope uh, not too many will be uh, infected and get hospitalized uh, during the winter times. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Dr. Chan, how difficult is it to strike that balance between protecting ourselves from uh, viruses uh, uh, in public and um, kind of trying to make sure that you know we've built up our own natural immunity resistance? Yes, um, in fact, uh, I think uh, about a voluntary uh, immunization against uh, influenza, uh, we need to have more education. To make it mandatory, then I think um, the logistics or implementation is somehow um, what the government needs to think about because uh, it needs much more uh, manpower as well. Okay. And also okay. the image of the city in the world that if we make it mandatory again, whereas, uh, well, we don't have the mandatory uh, immunization, standard immunization program for children in the past and in the present, and still we have 99% of children being vaccinated for standard immunization program. So people would expect that, well, we can make it so successful, like the standard immunization program without making it mandatory. Because Hong Kong still value our free status of uh, an international city in the world. Mm. So making something mandatory, so perhaps need more rethinking from the government level. But okay. of course, from our medical point of view, if we can make it 99% vaccination rate for the standard immunization program, we hope that we can educate the children and the parents and the society as a whole, that we could achieve a similar 99% covering rate for the influenza vaccination. Okay, let's so, hope uh, so. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what I mean, uh, to strike a balance. Mm-hmm. We can do it. Okay, great. Um, thank you very much uh, for speaking to us on this morning's uh, programme. To our three guests there, we've got to take a, a break for the news summary in just a moment. Uh, uh, that was Dr Alvin Chan, who's a paediatrician and co-chair of the Committee of Relationship with uh, Parents under the Hong Kong Medical Association. Thanks very much to Dr Aaron Lee, uh, an emergency ward doctor at Caritas Medical Centre, and to Kelvin Toe, chairperson of the Department of Microbiology at the School of Clinical Medicine. That's at the University of Hong Kong. And just before we go to the news, a quick look at the weather. It's going to be uh, mainly cloudy, sunny intervals, uh, top temperature around uh, 21 degrees, one or two light rain patches tonight. The outlook, mainly cloudy tomorrow. Sunny periods and cool mornings in the middle and latter parts of this week. It's currently 18 degrees, humidity 71%. News summary with Ben Che. Officials say flight operations have returned to normal at Tokyo's Haneda Airport six days after a collision between a Japan Airlines passenger jet and a smaller Coast Guard plane on runway C. All 379 passengers and crew escaped the burning jetliner, but five of the six Coast Guard plane crew were killed. Reports from northern Gaza say many people have been killed in an Israeli airstrike on a building in the Jabalia refugee camp. In central Gaza, three international medical aid groups say they are pulling out of the Al-Aqsa hospital after the Israeli military dropped leaflets designating the area around it as a red zone.
And police in New South Wales say they have dismantled a criminal gang that was attempting to smuggle dozens of native Australian lizards worth more than $800,000 to Hong Kong. Detectives say they have arrested three men and one woman between the end of December and early January. I'll have more news at 10. Wow, you look so good, darling. Really? You don't smell like cigarettes anymore. The doctor said my blood pressure has improved too. Friends said I play basketball better after quitting. I knew you could do it, dear. I'm going to ask my friends to quit smoking. Everyone supports you to quit smoking. Don't give up. Quit now. Call 1-833-183. The Road Harbour Crossings have implemented time-varying tolls. Tolls for private cars and motorcycles vary by time slots and are lower during off-peak hours. Between these time slots, tolls will gradually increase or decrease every two minutes. Taxis tolls remain at $25 all day, while other commercial vehicles have uniform tolls at $50 all day. Check out the HKE Mobility app or the toll displays at tunnels for real-time tolls. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. And welcome back to Backchat with uh, Mike Rouse and me, Jim Gould. And we're going to continue uh, with our main topic of uh, discussion this morning. And that is about the uh, peak flu season, which is uh, generally expected to begin uh, this week, plus an increase of course, in COVID-19 infections. Uh, looking at it from a slightly uh, different angle, though, uh, we had uh, two doctors plus a, um, a medical professor on um, before 9.30. We're now joined by Iris Chang, who's president of the Practicing Pharmacists uh, Association. Good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Uh, so um, we're expecting, uh, I mean, in, in, infection rates are pretty high at the moment. We're, we're expecting more. Is this going to be a particularly uh, busy time for the city's uh, pharmacists? Oh, yes. I think uh, the coming up uh, surge in the uh, influenza and then also the uh, COVID infections is also you know, on the rise. Uh, definitely uh, there's going to be more people in need of medicines. And then also we're trying to urge people uh, through our contacts with them in the pharmacy to try to get vaccination uh, sooner than later. Uh, Ms. Chang, sorry. Um, I was intrigued by the vaccination rate information that we will be give, being given in the first half of the program. Right. The, the two mm. most vulnerable groups mm. are elderly and children. And the mm. elderly vaccination rate is abundant about 46% for flu and for children, 48%. If mm -hmm. these, and yet, and for, for those in between, uh, it's f even far lower. I think one doctor mentioned that for those from 50 to 64 age group, which are also very vulnerable, start to be very vulnerable, is as low as 17%. What do we have to do to get m massive increases in these vaccination rates? Yes, a lot has to be done. I think this is a very important issue for Hong Kong. So people during the COVID, uh, we had many administrative policies uh, making people to have to get the vaccines. But once these policies have been uplifted, then people do not see the urgency to get the vaccination against COVID and also the influenza. 
So there is a false sense of security in that people think that now all the measures have been uplifted, then uh, maybe the disease won't be so threatening. But however, that is not true. So many people will get very seriously sick, especially the ones in the vulnerable populations, the old and the young. And if they don't get the vaccinations needed to protect them, they may wind up in the hospital and maybe not make it out of the hospital. So I think the healthcare professionals and the government uh, really need to have a push on the promotion message as to we need to have the uh, vaccination against uh, the COVID and also the influenza as soon as possible to prepare for the surge. And then also next week, we're having a campaign uh, to promote uh, vaccination and the safe use of vaccines. So hopefully the public will be able to understand that it's safe to get vaccines and it's actually not safe not to get vaccines. Should we be sending teams to schools? Yes, I think any any little bit helps in terms of clarifying a misunderstanding right now that uh, they don't need vaccination uh, as like before. So... We need to clarify that and uh, to make that an urgent matter for the children and the elderly groups to get the vaccinations. And those in the middle, actually, they really have a hard time anyway, uh, even if they catch the disease. Uh, it seems that because we had this face mask on for three years, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the immunity in our bodies have weakened. And a lot of people do get more uh, seriously sick when they come into the pharmacy with the flu. So the, the prolonged wearing of masks, in a sense, contributed to the problems we're having now. Right, exactly. So there is this big change all of a sudden that we used to have the mask to protect us, and now we do not. Then we have already weakened immunity because we have not uh, been in contact with these viruses. So we're having this uh, exacerbated uh, the uh, seriousness of the illness. Which makes it strange that people, some people are advocating returning to masks. <laughs> right. If there is there is a dual-edged sword. Uh, if you return to the mask, it will protect you for a limited period of time. But then, you know, you have to take it off. You know, uh, you know, you cannot wear it forever. So you have to take it off uh, one day, and then we have to go back to knowing how to protect ourselves without the mask. But, but would you say it was it's sensible advice to wear it? To, you know, if you're on the MTR in a crowded in a crowded space. Yes, absolutely. Right now, there are many people getting sick uh, around you. And then if you are on the uh, crowded areas and with people especially coughing and sneezing without their mask on, then you probably have to move away. And then also to protect yourself, you know, with a mask when you go into these areas. So now it's a, a very uh, worrying situation in Hong Kong, actually. Mm. So uh, at the moment, the the most prevalent uh, flu type, I believe, is the influenza A subtype H three, um, right. and for COVID nineteen, the 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 JN one strain mm -hmm. is yep. uh, is spreading. I mean, um, w w how serious are are these? Um, uh, subtypes and strains, and um, and uh, um, because I believe that. <clears throat> the number of serious COVID cases has not significantly increased. Mm. Well, I think the um, seriousness of these viruses really depends on the individual. If the individual falls into the vulnerable high-risk group, uh, even if the virus may not be uh, that deadly, uh, actually the response, the inflammation response within that high-risk individual, let's say the elderly or in children, will be so well overwhelming that uh, they would not be able to uh, calm down the inflammation responses that quickly. And that leads to hospitalization, intubation, yeah. uh, breathing difficulties, high fevers. So all these are complications of the virus infection. 
that will be deadly. Right, and they compound. You've got one and you get the other. Mm, uh, it multiplies. Yeah, so it's double trouble, exactly. So right now we have a, a situation where we need to uh, protect ourselves as best as possible. So vaccination is one of the things that we need to do. One of what I was going to ask about, do, we, do you have any data on the vaccination rates of our healthcare professionals? No, I don't have that data uh, up to date. So uh, we need to get that from the government. Uh, we should have asked the doctors in the first well, half. Well, how, how, how about um, um, how, how we offer medication um, for, for dealing with uh, infections, uh, flu and COVID? Yeah, for well, the flu, usually the symptoms uh, is symptomatic treatment, usually high fever, sore throat, coughing, sneezing, fatigue, sometimes vomiting and diarrhea. And so definitely uh, paracetamol is one of the things that can reduce fever. But definitely it's not a one drug for all uh, kind of uh, kind of medicine. So people should not just take paracetamol or maybe stockpile paracetamol and think that it's a solution for everything. Actually, uh, there are many medications to help with the sore throat and then also with the coughing and also uh, with the vomiting diarrhea that you can ask the pharmacist for so free advice and then uh, they would be able to point you to the right kind of medication. And sometimes you have to watch out for combinations of medicines uh, within uh, the, the, the drug. So if you have a hot drink uh, and then also you have some pills, they may, they may contain uh, both paracetamol. So you have maybe an exceeded dose, which may cause harm to the liver. Right. So you definitely need your professional advice if definitely you want to guard safe. against both COVID mm. and flu. Right, absolutely. And then to get well sooner. Yes. Mm. Wow. So, so uh, and do we have uh, we have enough medications um, in the city to cope with uh, to cope with the flu surge and cope with uh, an upsurge in the number of COVID cases? Yes, right now we have a steady supply of medications, and uh, consumers should not just look for one brand that they know of. Uh, they actually there are many brands of medicines that are, are effective, and so just ask the pharmacist and they point you to the right right drug to take. Mm. Mm. Uh, um, and what other, yeah, I mean, what, what other advice would you give uh, to the public if they are, if they are experiencing uh, symptoms, um, you know, apart from obviously going to see the doctor? Yeah, right. So definitely if you want to uh, alleviate some of the symptoms, uh, reduction of fever is important. Drink lots of water and then also to uh, reduce the coughing because it will uh, cause a lot of irritation in the throat. Uh, manage the pain that's associated with the headaches and the sore throat. Uh, you don't have to bear with the pain. A lot of patients, uh, they, they like to bear with the pain. Actually, you don't have to. And then actually that will help you sleep better. And uh, sleeping and resting is very important for flu management. And for the vomiting, diarrhea, you would definitely need medicines uh, to alleviate those symptoms because it, it will cause dehydration if you do not. So there's a lot of uh, medicines that alleviate those uh, serious symptoms actually that's associated with the flu and in overseas and in Hong Kong a lot of productivity is lost because of the flu uh, definitely even if you're not in the vulnerable group you want to protect yourself against it right there was some reference to maybe changing the triage arrangements uh, mm. uh, when people approach hospitals um, mm. can you see any scope for help, helping people get through this with a change to triage yeah, I think number one is uh, there's a lot of channels uh, to get uh, to get uh, the advice. Uh, number one, you can go down to the local pharmacy 
there may be some over-the-counter medicines that actually can alleviate your symptoms. And then uh, usually the flu symptoms will, will get better after a few days. Uh, if you go to the hospital, it may take many, many hours, more than eight hours waiting uh, to get, get the same medicine probably. And so you can try to visit the local pharmacy uh, or maybe uh, you can uh, go to a doctor which, uh, which can give you medicines before you go to the hospital. The hospital should be reserved uh, for emergency cases and not be, uh, to have many cues uh, for people who are suffering uh, from uh, respiratory illnesses. That's not serious. Right. And if people are all sitting together coughing, that's not going to help, is it? Exactly. So people, I think, uh, the Hong Kong public will know, have to know there are many channels and they don't have to just all run to the hospital to get treatment. Right. Don't panic. Uh, exactly. was the first message, I guess. Right. Mm-hmm. Consider alternatives mm. as a first step and only right. only take your child or the elderly to the hospital uh, if, if things look bad. Right, right. Exactly. You don't want an, uh, an uh, overcrowded hospital because it just doesn't help the situation. But the number one message is get vaccinated. Mm. <laughs> exactly. To protect yourself, prevention is always better than the cure. Mm-hmm. Great. Okay. Well, thank you very much uh, for joining us uh, on the program this morning. Uh, that was uh, Iris Chang, president of the Practicing Pharmacists Association. There's never been an easier way to listen back to our programs on your device. Whichever platform you use, the RTHK Radio app is the perfect place to discover all our shows. It's so easy to use. It looks great. And in an instant, you'll be listening back to your favorite RTHK program. You can even tune in live using the app. Go check it out. The RTHK Radio app at your preferred app store. And for the last part of this morning's program, we're turning our attention to a different topic, and that is uh, biodiversity in Victoria Harbour. This uh, following uh, a study uh, conducted by the City University, which found um, 35 species of coral in the harbour, which was uh, more than expected, uh, and plus uh, a few um, other surprises. Uh, uh, To talk uh, more about this... um, we're now joined on the line by Jeffrey Chung, who's a project manager of the of that uh, city you led uh, study on biodiversity. Uh, good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, um, so, um, as I said uh, just now in the intro, uh, the certainly. Uh, the findings on the number of coral species uh, um, exceeded what was expected. Uh, um, uh, how, how did you feel about that? Yeah, actually, which is uh, quite amazing to us because this finding is unexpected. At the beginning, we plan to uh, survey or study the Victoria Harbour uh, due to the, the history of this area. So we expected to find maybe some scattered patch or few species of coral because we just want to establish a baseline for monitoring the about the harbour treatments scheme because uh, it will uh, enhance the water quality so we would like to have a baseline for how uh, the water quality improved in Victoria Harbour. So we didn't expect we could find such a considerable size of uh, habitat area mm-hmm. in the underwater mm-hmm. of Victoria Harbour. What do you think has yes. uh, led to this improvement or uh, above your expectation anyway? 
sorry. Oh, you're saying the findings were better than you expected. Yeah. Um, what? And I, I can remember for years watching people fish uh, in the harbour and other people warning them, don't eat any of the fish that you caught in the harbour because of the pollution is so bad. But this seems yes. to indicate that we have improved the quality of the water. Yes, yes. Um, so far, because the harbour treatment case is in, in, implemented for a uh, uh, few years only, so uh, we don't expect... Uh, we find, we def recorded some... Uh, 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 water quality has been improved that, uh, in different parameters like the DO or uh, the nutrient release. So we don't uh, we we don't think uh, in the beginning we don't think that should be so many coral species down there. So uh, that's why we are very surprised that there's right. still of size, considerable size uh, habitat in different areas. Now that you've got your baseline study, how often will you look again? How often? Uh, it will based on uh, our resources and uh, the planning because uh, such coral growing uh, quite slow and then uh, it takes uh, maybe uh, five to ten years for growing bigger and let them to um to uh to um, grow more right. in the water so maybe we suggest three to five years to keep monitoring their health and their situation to know more about their situation any uh advice for the government in how to uh, keep the improvements going uh we've uh, firstly, uh, suggest uh, to uh, publish the information first because uh, we think the most important thing is uh, to let the public know, to let some boat company and fishermen, fishermen know the area so they can avoid uh, any anchoring activity in this area because the soft coral is... is um, not very tough. Any physical uh, damage, um, any f uh, physical activity will easily damage the coral. So we suggest to um, um, publish the area information right. first to avoid such damage. Indeed. You, you, you mentioned the, the harbour treatment scheme. I mean, that's obviously a, a key factor in this. Uh, uh, just for the uh, okay. background of the uh, listeners, uh, uh, since uh, 2015, um, all uh, sewage has been uh, collected and treated before being uh, put into the harbour, which uh, obviously uh, wasn't the case before, although there have been uh, gradual improvements uh, over the years. So, um, so that uh, has obviously led to a big uh, increase in water quality. And um, and then um, other sp other species have benefited, haven't they? I mean, like, like for instance, uh, I was reading in in one area you found uh, um, a lot of um, scallops were growing, for instance. Yes, yeah. um, the scallop um, is is um, also an unexpected finding, and uh, because scallop is a is also a um, economically important species, which yeah. is quite important to the uh, local fisheries. So um, so far, we think that um, 
due to the urban development or land reclamation, the fishery activities or over this area is maybe all, almost down to zero. So that's why, um, unfortunately, the species is protected. And uh, but uh, we have to balance between the fishery development and the conservation. So. Um, it's hard to say the how to protect them so far, and um, but uh, we believe that we believe that um, because there are many uh wrestled activity over there, so the situation um maybe not that bad. Even uh, uh the people note uh there's um, a score um, back over there. The harbor's pretty big. Did, within it, did you find much variation between different parts? Any black spots and then any any sort of paradise areas paradise yeah we uh we have uh, published this safe map and uh, the there's five location uh, we captured it uh, on news and that that five area we uh, is exactly where we find the uh, um, coral community and then uh uh, which has many species and very colorful species, and then so, uh, which is what you call the uh, heaven area over <laughs> there. Yeah, because yes, as Mike says, uh, it is a big area that you were surveying, wasn't it? And and, and also, it it must take in like different types of habitats because uh, on the on the, on the west side. Uh, the water is largely uh, estuarial, it's coming out of the Pearl River, and on the on the east side, it's sort of a uh, oceanic uh, seawater. So, um, so do, I mean, do do you find there's a sort of big difference between the east and west side of the harbour? Um, so, uh, so far, uh, uh, we do find some difference uh, instead of east or western sides. Um, if you look into the the distribution of the location some location is uh, more near uh in the central of the uh water channel of Victoria mm. Harbor mm. some area is located in um, some enclaved bay and uh we do find some uh, species uh, variation between these two location because uh we believe that um the water current had uh, shaped the uh, coral community uh, more uh, sun coral or bear coral was found in the enclave the bay where um, the water current is not that strong and more auto coral species um, is found in the water channel we believe that uh, it's due to their um, uh, habit because more auto corals independent on filter feeding and the water current will bring them more food right now you, you've got your baseline now for the harbour are there any other areas of Hong Kong waters that you think would be worth uh, doing a similar study? Um, um, because um, there are already many studies included um, the northeast water or the Saigon area in Hong Kong. There we already find many coral community or many uh, marine other marine habitat like at seaweed or sargassum or uh, hard coral. And then in the future, maybe we have to focus uh, a bit more 
uh, on the southern area or cent cent central area, including Victoria Harbour, because so far our study is a very uh, preliminary study, so we may have to uh, um, take uh, one more step, at, like to um, study other like refresh or uh, other invertebrate in the Victoria Harbour to get more information. Um, right. for protecting this area. So maybe to the south then, down to Potoy, uh, places like that. How about further west, um, closer to the influence of the Pearl River? Uh, north of Lantau, south of Lantau? Yeah, because, uh, yeah, as you say, due to the effect of the Pearl River, there's, uh, as we know, there's not much um, corals we call uh, the sessile organism, they don't move, and then the, uh, the, uh, there's not much uh, sessile organism in that area because the high turbidity and also the very high variation of salinity. So, uh, not much study, or we don't, we, we didn't plan to uh, survey this area. One of the things I learned from your study, which I hadn't actually realised before, but we don't have coral reefs in Hong Kong, do we? They're, they're, they're like uh, we have like colonies of corals that which are attached to, uh, to to rocks on the seabed, that kind of thing. Yes, mm -hmm. yes, it's, uh, because there is a definition of coral reefs is the coral built area. We we usually observe that coral upper on old coral skeleton and then to build habitat which is the definition of uh, coral reefs in hong kong due to the we are subtropical area the water temperature is highly varied uh, between winter or summer so the corals grow very uh, slow maybe uh, around 1 cm per year so uh, that's why the coral in Hong Kong can so far cannot build a coral community, mm. and uh, so far cannot build a coral rift and only coral community in Hong Kong. Mm. Okay, uh, uh, and yes. apart from corals, apart from uh, yeah, just one last thing then. Apart from corals and uh, high density of scallops, um, were there any other any other sort of forms of marine life that you uh, noticed, which uh, came as a, a a bit of a surprise? Um. Actually, um, we also find uh, uh, pie fish, which mm. uh, actually a family uh, um, of um, the seahorse, mm. which is also a very rare uh, marine species. And um, actually, it's my first time to see this in Hong Kong because oh, I right, only find right. record. Okay. Yes, this is uh, also a quite quite amazing, and uh, yeah. I didn't expect to find this in. Uh, Victoria Harbour, as we, as I said, that mm. uh, the water current is strong, but this uh, pie fish is still uh, swim very good, slow. Good, good news, so anyway. Good news. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yes, uh, we're we're out of time now. But thanks very much for speaking to us uh, on this morning's program, Jeffrey Chung, there, project manager of the uh, City University-led study on biodiversity in the harbour. Thanks to our listeners. Thanks very much to you, Mike. I think I'm going to have to write about this damn vaccination stuff. <laughs> 